Aerospace Dimensions Module 3, Air Environment, Module Outline, Chapter 1, The Atmosphere, Chapter 2, Air Circulation, Chapter 3, Weather Elements, Chapter 4, Moisture and Clouds, Chapter 5, Weather Systems and Severe Weather. Chapter 1, The Atmosphere. Learning Outcomes. 1. Describe the composition of the atmosphere. 2. Describe the standard temperature lapse rate. 3. Identify the four layers of the atmosphere. Important terms. Ionosphere. A region of the atmosphere where electrons are gained or lost. Lapse rate. The rate of decrease with an increase in height for pressure and temperature. Mesosphere. A layer of the atmosphere extending from about 30 to 50 miles. Ozonosphere. A region of the atmosphere where ozone is created. Stratosphere. A layer of the atmosphere extending from the tropopause to about 30 miles. Thermosphere, a layer of the atmosphere extending from 50 to about 300 miles. Tropopause, boundary between the troposphere and the stratosphere. Troposphere, first layer of the atmosphere where most of the Earth's weather occurs. The atmosphere is a blanket of air made up of a mixture of gases that surrounds the Earth and reaches almost 350 miles from the surface of the Earth. This mixture is in constant motion. If the atmosphere were visible, it might look like an ocean with swirls and eddies, rising and falling air, and waves that travel for great distances. Life on Earth is supported by the atmosphere, solar energy, and the planet's magnetic fields. The atmosphere absorbs energy from the sun, recycles water and other chemicals, and works with the electrical and magnetic forces to provide a moderate climate. The atmosphere also protects life on Earth from high-energy radiation and the frigid vacuum of space. Composition of the atmosphere. In any given volume of air, nitrogen accounts for 78% of the gases that comprise the atmosphere, while oxygen makes up 21%. Argon, carbon dioxide, and traces of other gases make up the remaining 1%. A variable amount of water vapor can also be present, and this amount can be responsible for major changes in our weather. Atmospheric layers. Certain levels of the atmosphere can be identified according to general characteristics such as temperature distribution and physical and chemical properties. There are four distinct regions or layers of the atmosphere where the temperature distribution is different enough to justify a different name. The first layer, known as the troposphere, extends from sea level up to 20,000 feet over the poles and to 55,000 to 60,000 feet over the equatorial regions. Most of the atmosphere is contained in this region, and the vast majority of weather, clouds, storms, and temperature differences occur here. Temperatures within the troposphere decrease with an increase in altitude at a fairly constant rate. This temperature decrease is generally accepted to be at a rate of about 3.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 2 degrees Celsius for every 1,000 feet of altitude gain. This is called the standard lapse rate for temperature. At the top of the troposphere is a boundary known as the tropopause, which is the dividing area between the troposphere and the next layer. The altitude of the tropopause varies with latitude and with the season of the year. The next region of the atmosphere is the stratosphere, which extends from the tropopause to a height of about 160,000 feet, or about 30 miles. Little weather exists in this layer and the air remains stable, although certain types of clouds occasionally exist in it. The temperature actually gets warmer with an increase in altitude, usually moving from a temperature of negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit to about negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. The U-2 aircraft is an example of an airplane that routinely flies in the stratosphere. The next atmospheric region is the mesosphere. 
The mesosphere extends from beyond the stratosphere to about 280,000 feet or from about 30 to 50 miles. At first, the temperature increases in the mesosphere, but then it decreases at the top of the layer to about negative 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Finally, the last region identified by temperature differences is the thermosphere. It begins at about 50 miles up and extends to about 300 miles. Here, the temperature increases again. How much it increases depends on solar activity, but it is usually between 1,380 degrees and 2,280 degrees Fahrenheit. There are two atmospheric regions that can be described by the physical and chemical processes that occur within them. First, there is the ozonosphere. It extends from about 10 to 30 miles in altitude. In this region, the sun's radiation reacts with the oxygen molecules and causes them to pick up a third atom, creating ozone. The ozonosphere performs the very important function of shielding us from ultraviolet and infrared radiation. The next region described by these physical and chemical processes is the ionosphere. This region begins at an altitude of about 25 miles and extends outward to about 250 miles. Because of the interactions between atmospheric particles and the sun's radiation, there is a loss or gain in the electrons of the atoms and molecules, and thus the word ion. Chapter 2 Air Circulation Learning Outcomes 1. Describe how the sun heats the Earth. 2. Describe the Earth's rotation and revolution and its effect on the Earth's seasons. 3. Explain the various theories of circulation. 4. Describe Coriolis effect. 5. Define the jet stream, important terms, autumnal or fall equinox, the time when the sun's direct rays strike the equator, resulting in day and night of equal length, usually on September 22nd or 23rd. Coriolis effect or Coriolis force, the apparent deflection of a freely moving object to the right in the northern hemisphere. Doldrums, a global area of calm winds. Jet stream a strong wind that develops at 30,000 to 35,000 feet and moves as a winding road across the U.S., generally from the west to the east. Polar easterlies, global winds that flow from the poles and move to the west. Prevailing westerlies, global winds that move toward the poles and appear to curve to the east. Radiation, the method by which the sun heats the earth. Revolution, the movement of the earth revolving around the sun, Full revolution about 365 days. Rotation. How the Earth turns or rotates on its axis at an angle of 23.5 degrees. While it revolves around the Sun, full rotation takes 24 hours. Summer solstice. The longest day when the Sun is at its northernmost point from the equator in the northern hemisphere, usually on June 21st or 22nd. Trade winds. A warm, steady wind that blows toward the equator. Vernal or spring, equinox, the time when the sun's direct rays strike the equator, resulting in day and night of equal length, usually on March 21st or 22nd. Winter solstice, the shortest day when the sun is the farthest south of the equator and the northern hemisphere, usually on December 21st or 22nd. The sun heats the earth. This is the fundamental cause of our various weather conditions. However, the sun heats some parts of the earth more than others. This uneven or unequal heating causes temperature and pressure differences. This creates circulation or movement of air. This movement initiates the whole weather process. Radiation The sun heats the earth through a method known as radiation. 
that energy from the sun radiates into the Earth's atmosphere. As already mentioned, the sun heats the Earth unevenly. This heat from the sun is absorbed differently depending on the surface or the substance. For example, if you go to the beach on a hot day and take your shoes off and walk in the sand, the sand will be almost too hot to walk on, but the water will be cool. Go back at 11 at night, the sand will be cool, while the water will be comfortably warm. The sand absorbed and lost heat faster than the water. About 50% of the sun's radiation is absorbed by the Earth's surface. The other 50% is reflected and absorbed in the atmosphere and space. Where does the sun's radiation go? 10% of the sun's radiation is scattered to space by the atmosphere. 25% is reflected from clouds. 15% is absorbed by the atmosphere. 50% of the sun's radiation is absorbed at the surface of the Earth. Warm air rises and this impacts weather in a big way. This rising warm air adds to temperature and pressure differences, as well as air movement. This affects the surrounding air, air masses, and fronts. It is also an ingredient for producing clouds and plays a part in the occurrence of moisture and precipitation. Aircraft are affected by warm air too. Air is made up of molecules and warm air has less molecules than cool air. The warm air molecules are spaced farther apart, so the air is less dense or thinner. So, airplane engines work more efficiently in dense, colder weather. Rotation and Revolution In relationship to the sun, the Earth has two motions that affect the amount of heat received from the sun. These motions are rotation and revolution. The Earth revolves around the sun and, at the same time, rotates as well. The Earth's revolution takes 365 days, 5 hours, and 48 minutes, while the Earth is rotating on its axis at an angle of 23.5 degrees. This rotational tilt causes the length of the days to vary, and the rotation plus the revolution causes the seasonal changes. The Earth's axis stays tilted in the same direction as it revolves around the Sun. The Northern Hemisphere is tilted toward the Sun on June 21st or 22nd. This is called the Summer Solstice. This day marks the longest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere when the Sun is at its northernmost point from the equator. December 21st or 22nd is the date when the Northern Hemisphere is tilted away from the Sun and the Sun is the farthest south of the equator. This is called the Winter Solstice. During the spring, or vernal, equinox, which occurs on March 21st or 22nd, and the fall, or autumnal, equinox, which occurs on September 22nd or 23rd, the sun's rays cross the equator. So, days and nights are of equal length. Our Earth rotates on its axis in a counterclockwise direction. The winds associated with the rotation cause an object moving freely in the northern hemisphere to appear to be deflected to the right of its intended path. This deflection to the right is called Coriolis effect or Coriolis force. As an example, an airplane flying south from the North Pole to the equator must take the Coriolis effect into account. If it doesn't, it will land west of its intended destination. Circulation and global winds. Unequal heating causes air movement. Globally, this movement is called circulation or the general circulation of the atmosphere. This general circulation may be regarded as the worldwide system of winds that transfers heat between tropical and polar regions called global winds. The region of the Earth receiving most of the sun's heat is the equator. Here, air is heated and rises, leaving low-pressure areas behind. Moving to about 30 degrees north and south of the equator, the warm air from the equator finally begins to cool and sink. Between 30 degrees latitude and the equator, most of the cooling, sinking air moves back to the equator.
The rest of the air flows toward the poles. The air movements toward the equator are called trade winds, warm, steady breezes that blow almost continuously. The Coriolis effect makes the trade winds appear to be curving to the west when they are actually traveling toward the equator from the south and the north. The trade winds coming from the south and the north meet near the equator. These converging trade winds produce general upward winds as they are heated, so there are no steady surface winds. This area of calm is called the doldrums. Between 30 degrees and 60 degrees latitude, the winds that move toward the poles appear to curve to the east. Because winds are named for the direction from which they originate, these winds are called prevailing westerlies. Prevailing westerlies in the northern hemisphere are responsible for many of the weather movements across the U.S. and Canada. At about 60 degrees latitude in both hemispheres, the prevailing westerlies join with polar easterlies to produce upward motion. The polar easterlies are formed when the atmosphere over the poles cools. This cold air then sinks and spreads out over the surface. As the air flows away from the poles, it is turned to the west by the Coriolis effect. Again, because these winds begin in the east, they are called the easterlies. Many of the changes in wind direction are hard to visualize, but hopefully the following explanation will help. For a general idea of the relative locations of the global winds, imagine a globe with the equator dividing it into the northern and southern hemispheres. Now divide each hemisphere into three parts, imagining the North Pole as the top and working down. The global wind from the North Pole to 60 degrees latitude are the polar easterlies, they start in the east and the wind blows west. From 60 degrees to 30 degrees north, we have prevailing westerlies, starting in the west and blowing east. From 30 degrees north to the equator, you find the northeast trade winds. Right at the equator are the doldrums, where there is very little wind. From the equator to 30 degrees south are the southeast trade winds. From 30 to 60 degrees south are the prevailing westerlies, and from 60 degrees latitude to the south pole are the polar easterlies. Again, from top to bottom it's polar easterlies, prevailing westerlies, northeast trade winds, doldrums, southeast trade winds, prevailing westerlies, and polar easterlies. These global winds are a constant concern for pilots. Pilots receive a weather briefing before takeoff. During the briefing, the direction and speed of the winds between their takeoff point and their destination are always examined at various levels of altitude. Jet stream. Another interesting concept is the jet stream. The jet stream usually crosses the U.S. at 30,000 to 35,000 feet, generally moving in a west to east direction. The jet stream develops when there are strong temperature differences in the upper troposphere. These large temperature differences cause large pressure differences, which create stronger winds. The jet stream's winds are generally between 100 to 300 miles per hour, with an average of 120 to 150. However, speeds have been recorded as high as 450 miles per hour. The jet stream moves like a winding road across the U.S. It is generally thousands of miles long, hundreds of miles wide, and a few miles deep. It is usually stronger and dips farther south in the winter. Both commercial and military pilots are well aware of the location of the jet stream. In fact, many flight plans are filed with the jet stream in mind. Why is that? Since the jet stream moves west to east, a plane flying east can save time and fuel by riding the jet stream to the plane's destination. Passengers are usually very happy about arriving 30 to 60 minutes early. Of course, the opposite is also true. Planes flying west may be flying into the jet stream. This will slow them down, or they can try to avoid the jet stream. Chapter 3. Weather Elements Learning Outcomes
One, define waned. Two, describe the Beaufort scale. Three, define heat. Four, explain what temperature is and how it can be expressed on scales. Five, describe what wind chill is and what it does. Six, describe how a microburst can affect a plane slight. Important terms, advection, lateral transfer of heat. Atmospheric pressure, the weight of all of the atmosphere's gases and molecules on the Earth's surface. Beaufort scale, a scale for estimating wind speed on land or sea. Conduction, heating by direct contact. Convection, heat transfer by vertical motion. Heat, the total energy of all molecules within a substance. Microburst, a downdraft or downburst phenomenon that creates unstable air and thunderstorm turbulence. Radiation, heat transferred by the sun. Temperature, a measure of molecular motion expressed on a man-made scale. Wind, a body of air in motion. Wind chill, temperature and wind speed used to explain how cold it feels. Wind, this chapter discusses three of the very basic weather elements, wind, temperature, and pressure. These elements will be defined, and you can conduct activities which will give you a better understanding of how these elements contribute to the overall weather. Let's begin with a brief discussion of wind. Wind is a body of air in motion. It is described as having direction and speed. Wind direction is defined as the direction from which the wind is blowing. For instance, if the wind is blowing from the west, it is called a west wind. A wind blowing from the northwest is called a northwest wind. Here in the U.S., wind speed is expressed in either miles per hour or knots. A knot is a common nautical and aviation term. One knot equals 1.15 miles per hour, and one knot is equivalent to one nautical mile per hour, which is 6,076 feet. Imagine a flag on a flagpole. In calm air, the flag hands down vertically. In winds of about 10 miles per hour, the flag moves in the breeze. In winds of about 20 miles per hour, the flag waves in the wind. And in winds of about 30 miles per hour, the flag flies fully horizontally. This isn't a precise measure, but can give you a good estimate of wind speed. There is another tool for estimating wind speed. This one works on land or sea. It is called the Beaufort Scale and has been around since 1805. It is still widely used today. On a windy day, take the Beaufort Scale outside and estimate the wind speed. Do this a few times during the day and then compare your estimations with the local weather report that night. Beaufort Scale Chart Beaufort Number Wind Speed in Miles Per Hour Siemens Term Effects at Sea Effects on Land Beaufort Zero Under 1 Mile Per Hour Calm Sea Like a Mirror Calm Smoke rises vertically. Beaufort 1, 1 to 3 miles per hour, light air. Ripples with appearance of fish scales, no foam crests. Smoke drift indicates wind direction, wind vanes do not move. Beaufort 2, 4 to 7 miles per hour, light breeze. Small wavelets, crests of glassy appearance, not breaking. Wind felt on face. Leaves rustle, veins begin to move. Beaufort 3, 8 to 12 miles per hour, gentle breeze. Large wavelets, crests begin to break, scattered whitecaps. Leaves, small twigs in constant motion, light flags extended. Beaufort 4, 
13 to 18 miles per hour, moderate breeze. Small waves, becoming longer, numerous whitecaps. Dust, leaves and loose paper raced up, small branches move. Beaufort 5, 19 to 24 miles per hour, fresh breeze. Moderate waves, becoming longer, many whitecaps, some spray. Small trees begin to sway. Beaufort 6, 25 to 31 miles per hour, strong breeze. Larger waves forming, whitecaps everywhere, more spray. Large branches of trees in motion, whistling herd in wires. Beaufort 7, 32 to 38 miles per hour, moderate gale. Sea heaps up, white foam from breaking waves, begins to blow streaks. Whole trees in motion, resistance felt in walking against wind. Beaufort 8, 39 to 46 miles per hour, fresh gale. Moderately high waves of greater length. Foam is blown in well-marked streaks. Twigs and small branches broken off trees. Beaufort 9, 47 to 54 miles per hour, strong gale. High waves, sea begins to roll, dense streaks of foam. Spray may reduce visibility. Slight structural damage occurs, slate blown from roofs. Beaufort 10, 55 to 63 miles per hour, whole gale. Very high waves with overhanging crests. Sea takes white appearance. Visibility reduced. Seldom experienced on land. Trees broken. Structural damage occurs. Beaufort 11, 64 to 72 miles per hour. Storm. Exceptionally high waves. Sea covered with white foam patches. Very rarely experienced on land, usually with widespread damage. Beaufort 12, 73 or higher miles per hour, hurricane force. Air filled with foam. Sea completely white with driving spray. Visibility greatly reduced. Violence and destruction. Wind is an interesting phenomenon all by itself. However, if you apply temperature into the situation, it gets even more interesting, especially cold temperatures. We have all heard of the wind chill, but what exactly is it and how does it work? To determine wind chill, temperature, and wind speed are used to explain how cold it feels. It may be 30 degrees Fahrenheit outside, but feels like 9 degrees Fahrenheit because of the combination of cold temperature and strong winds. Actually, heat is escaping from your body and warms the air next to you. If the wind is calm or almost calm, the warm air will stay next to your body. However, if the wind is blowing, it blows the warm air away from your body, and the faster it is blowing, the faster the heat is being carried away causing you to feel colder. Thus, the physiological effect of wind chill on the body is important to maintain safe body temperature. The wind chill index can help to calculate wind chill. The actual formula used to determine wind chill has various variables and is different in many countries. If you want to find out more about the actual formulas used, go to the National Weather Service website at www.weather.gov. How does wind affect flying? Wind speed and wind direction always impact flying. The smaller planes are affected more than the larger planes. Airplanes take off into the wind because the wind gives the plane more lift. This allows the plane to leave the ground faster. The wind direction is important because if crosswinds get too high, 
planes can't take off or land safely. Crosswinds are winds blowing toward the side of the plane. Strong crosswinds can blow planes off course. Base operations or the control tower will not allow planes to take off or land if the winds are unsafe. A plane's wind capability has already been determined by the manufacturer and is published in the plane's manual. While planes are en route to their destinations, winds are very important. Pilots love having a tailwind. This is a wind that is blowing from the same direction the plane is flying. Tailwinds will reduce the overall flying time and allow the plane to arrive at its destination earlier. On longer flights, tailwinds can save pilots a significant amount of time and fuel. There is another weather phenomenon involving winds that impacts flying in a very crucial way. That phenomenon is a microburst. For many years, authorities have realized that microbursts have been responsible for several aircraft accidents. Microbursts are particularly dangerous during takeoffs and landings. A microburst is defined as a downdraft or downburst. It is a column of sinking air that as it nears the ground or hits the ground diverges in many directions. These winds associated with a microburst can reach 100 to 150 miles per hour and cause considerable damage. Because these diverging winds happen at or near ground-level airplanes are so much more vulnerable during takeoffs and landings. A microburst can occur very suddenly leaving little time to react to these diverging winds. Microbursts have a diameter of 2.5 miles or less and can be associated with or without precipitation. When a microburst happens at normal flying altitudes, there may be bumps and bruises, but the plane will recover. When it happens near the Earth's surface, there may not be time to recover. Flying near thunderstorms is dangerous, but when a microburst is involved, it is extremely dangerous. Temperature We know that uneven heating creates temperature and pressure differences, which causes the air to move. If we break heat down into its basic form, it becomes energy. Heat is the total energy of all molecules within a substance. These molecules are constantly in motion because of the heat differences. Heat is a relative term, particularly when expressed as temperature. There are four principal ways in which heat is transferred from one place to another. These four methods are conduction, convection, advection, and radiation. When a molecule is heated and comes in contact with another molecule, the second molecule absorbs some of this heat. This is heating by direct contact and is called conduction. Convection is the heat transfer by vertical motion. In summer, air over a hot runway or a highway will rise. Air over hot surfaces rises faster than the air over surrounding surfaces. Parcels of air have a certain temperature, and when the wind blows, this air comes in contact with other parcels of air. This process is the lateral transfer of heat and is called advection. The last heat transfer is the heat energy from the sun, and it is called radiation. These four processes of heat transfer are very important in the process of weather. Temperature is a measure of molecular motion expressed on a man-made scale, either in Fahrenheit, F, Celsius, C, or Kelvin, K. Fahrenheit's freezing point is 32 degrees and its boiling point is 212 degrees. The freezing point of Celsius is 0 degrees and its boiling point is 100 degrees. The Kelvin freezing point is 273 degrees and its boiling point is 373 degrees. Kelvin is used for scientific purposes. Converting back and forth from Fahrenheit and Celsius is very simple if you have a formula to use. Any of these three formulas will work. F equals C times 1.8 quantity plus 32 or C equals F minus 32 quantity 
divided by 1.8, or F equals 9 fifths C quantity plus 32. There is another conversion procedure which can be helpful. Take a Celsius temperature and double it, then subtract 10%, then add 32. This will work as well. Example, if C equals 100, double is 200, subtract 10%, 10% of 200 is 20, 200 minus 20 is 180, plus 32 is 212. Therefore, 100 degrees Celsius is equal to 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Do aircraft pilots really care about what the temperature is? You better believe they do. Particularly in extreme conditions. In other words, when temperatures are either really cold or really hot, pilots are most concerned. Why is this the case? Well, for one thing, temperature affects takeoff. An explanation follows. You will recall that the sun heats the earth unevenly. This unequal heating gives us temperature differences, which in turn causes pressure differences. The different temperature and pressure characteristics mean that the parcels of air have different molecular makeup and weigh different amounts, exerting different amounts of pressure. Pilots must take this into account when preparing for takeoff. Warmer temperatures result in longer acceleration times to attain proper takeoff speeds. On extremely hot days, the air can become very humid. A pilot needs to calculate the distance needed to make sure there is enough runway for takeoff. Understanding temperatures becomes crucial when they are extreme. Extreme hot and cold temperatures can cause pain discomfort and even death. Extreme heat can cause heat cramps, especially in legs, fainting, quick drop in blood pressure, heat exhaustion, dizziness after several hot days, and heat stroke, confusion, unconsciousness, or even death. Drinking plenty of water when it is extremely hot can offset negative physical conditions. In extreme cold, hypothermia and frostbite may occur. In hypothermia, the body temperature drops below 95 degrees and a person can become unconscious and even die. Wearing wool clothing decreases body heat escape, thus reducing the chance of hypothermia. Frostbite can range from very minor to very serious cases. Ears, nose, hands, and feet are the most vulnerable. Gloves, hats, dry socks, and a covering for the face help prevent frostbite. Pressure. The last area in this chapter is pressure. We already know that unequal heating creates pressure differences. Our air is made up of gases. Each of these gases has molecules, and these molecules have weight. This weight or push on the Earth's surface is called atmospheric pressure. The weight or atmospheric pressure in a given space depends on the number of molecules occupying that space. There are literally billions of molecules near the Earth's surface. It has been said that a molecule travels less than one millionth of an inch before it collides with another molecule. This colliding causes additional movement. Because it is so crowded, there is always molecular movement near the surface of the Earth. Another area where we notice pressure changes is our body, particularly our ears and sinuses. Our bodies have trouble adjusting to rapid decreases or increases in pressure. Airplanes or even elevators can make us physically uncomfortable. When an airplane is taking off, the outside pressure decreases so the pressure inside our ear is higher. Also, when a plane is landing, the outside pressure increases so the pressure inside our ear is lower. Normally, air can move through the ear and equalize the pressure. However, if you have a cold and your ears are blocked or you have blocked sinuses, the air can't equalize and you may feel some discomfort or pain. If you have a severe cold or sinus problem, you should consider consulting a doctor before flying. Air pressure can be measured with a mercury barometer, 
an aneroid barometer, or an aneroid barograph. An aneroid barometer is fast and easy to read. Aneroids are the barometers people have on their walls at home or in their office. A mercury barometer is not as quick, but is more stable and reliable. A mercury barometer is mainly used by scientists and meteorologists. An aneroid barograph can be found in weather stations all over the country because it gives a permanent record of pressure readings. A permanent record is important if pressure readings need to be reviewed due to severe weather or an aircraft accident. Chapter 4, Moisture and Clouds Learning Outcomes 1. Describe the condensation process. 2. Describe how saturation occurs. 3. Define dew point. 4. Define what precipitation is and give some examples. 5. Define fog. 6. Define turbulence. Important terms. Condensation, the process of converting water vapor to liquid. Dew point, the temperature at which the air becomes saturated with water vapor. Fog, tiny droplets of liquid water at or near the surface of the land or water. Humidity, amount of water vapor in the air. Precipitation, general term given to various types of condensed water vapor. Relative humidity, the amount of water vapor in the air compared to its water vapor capacity at a given temperature. Saturation, the condition of a parcel of air holding as much water vapor as it can at the air temperature at that time. Water cycle, continuous movement of water as it circulates between the earth and its atmosphere. Moisture, without moisture in the atmosphere, weather could not exist. Moisture is the most important element in the development of the weather. It is the main component for clouds, rain, snow, and fog. Moisture exists in three states, solid, liquid, and gas. As a gas, it is called water vapor. Water vapor is always present in varying degrees in the atmosphere. When the air gets to the point where it is holding all of the water it can, saturation is reached. Saturation is defined as the air holding as much water vapor as it can at the air temperature at that time. The temperature at which the air becomes saturated is called the dew point. This is not a fixed point. It changes several times a day depending on the amount of moisture in the air. If the temperature decreases below its dew point, condensation occurs. Or, if a parcel of saturated air receives more water, it condenses into liquid form. The conversion of water vapor to a liquid is called condensation. Clouds, fog, snow, and rain are products of condensation. Another important term is humidity. Humidity is the term used for the amount of water vapor in the air. When someone talks about how humid it is, they are really describing the relative humidity. Relative humidity is the amount of humidity in the air compared to its total water vapor capacity at a given temperature. It is expressed in a percentage. The higher the percentage, the more humidity. Fog. As mentioned earlier, one form of condensation is fog. Fog is composed of tiny droplets of liquid water that are at or near the surface of the geographical area. It is actually a cloud that is very near or touching the ground. Generally, fog forms when the temperature and dew point are within 5 degrees of each other and the winds are light, 5 knots or less. Pilots frequently encounter fog, and it mostly concerns them during takeoffs and landings. Fog restricts how well a pilot can see. Many times when fog is present, Pilots use their flight and navigation instruments to gauge distances, both horizontally and vertically. Precipitation Another product of condensation is precipitation. 
Precipitation is the general term given to the various types of condensed water vapor that fall to the Earth's surface, such as rain, snow, or ice. Precipitation that falls to the ground as a liquid and stays in liquid form is called rain. Precipitation affects flying mainly through the pilot's visibility and the runway conditions. The harder it rains, the more it reduces the visibility and the more it diminishes good runway conditions for both takeoff and landing. Precipitation that falls to the ground, but freezes upon contact with various surfaces, such as the ground, a highway, or cars, is called freezing rain. Freezing rain can cause hazardous conditions. Ice on car windshields and on highways poses major problems for motorists. Extreme caution should be taken in icy conditions. Ice can also represent huge problems for aircraft. First of all, ice on the runway can raise havoc with a plane trying to land. The plane can lose directional control and take much longer to come to a full stop, causing possible accidents. Another critical condition could be ice in the airplane's engine. In this case, ice can form in the carburetor, thus reducing or stopping fuel flow to the engine. Engine manufacturers recommend that carburetor heat be applied to help solve the ice problem. Ice can also form on a plane's windshield, propeller, or wings. If left to accumulate, it could cause weight, lift, and visibility problems. Pilots will quickly change flying altitude to get away from the ice. Also, weather forecasters will brief pilots on possible icy conditions before they take off. Water cycle The water cycle is the continuous movement of water between the Earth and its atmosphere. Water is always moving and changing from a liquid to vapor and back to liquid or snow and ice. The sun heats the oceans and lakes, causing water to evaporate. The water rises and becomes water vapor, then eventually condenses into tiny droplets forming clouds. When clouds meet cool air, precipitation can occur. Some precipitation soaks in the ground and other falls back into the oceans and the circulation continues. Clouds Another phenomenon which results from condensation is clouds. Clouds are made up of minute droplets of water or tiny crystals of ice or both. Clouds are of continual interest to meteorologists because they are visible indications of what is going on with the weather. The more we learn about clouds, the more we learn about the weather and what to expect. There are three basic cloud forms, cumulus, stratus, and cirrus. Clouds are classified by their appearance and height. Cumulus clouds are normally white, billowy, puffy clouds. Some describe them as cotton balls. Cumulus is a fair weather cloud indicating good weather. Stratus has a very uniform appearance. It is thin with very little vertical development. It is almost sheet-like in its appearance. Stratus is gray instead of white. Cumulus and stratus are both found low in the sky and close to the ground. Cirrus clouds are very high in the sky. They are white, thin, wispy clouds, usually in patches, filaments, hooks, or bands. Because of their height, they are composed of ice crystals. There are also 10 basic cloud types that come from the three basic cloud forms. These 10 basic cloud types are universally accepted as the world's main cloud types. The cloud types are cumulus, stratus, stratocumulus, altocumulus, nimostratus, altostratus, cirrus, cirrocumulus, cirrostratus, and cumulonimbus. Cumulus, low atmosphere, rounded, puffy tops that are brilliant white, while their bottoms are relatively flat and relatively dark. Stratus, low atmosphere, flat, featureless, grayish cloud that hugs the horizon. Stratocumulus, low atmosphere, low, puffy, grayish or whitish clouds that occur in patches with blue sky visible in between. When viewed from underneath, 
Stratocumulus have a dark, honeycomb appearance. Altocumulus, middle atmosphere. White or gray patches that dot the sky in large, rounded masses or clouds that are aligned in parallel bands. Nimbostratus, low atmosphere. Dark gray clouds that cover the sky in a thick layer and produce rain. Altostratus, middle atmosphere. Gray or bluish gray sheets of clouds that partially or totally cover the sky at mid-level. May obscure the sun's light. Cirrus, high atmosphere. Thin, white, wispy strands of clouds that streak across the sky. Cirrocumulus, high atmosphere. Small, white patches of clouds often arranged in rows. Cloudlets may have a fish scale or grain-like appearance. Cirrostratus, high atmosphere. Transparent, whitish clouds that veil or cover nearly the entire sky. When the sun or the moon shines through cirrostratus, it often forms a halo. Cumulonimbus, may span low, middle, and high layers. Resembles puffy cumulus clouds, but rise into towers, often with a bulging anvil head at the top. Bottoms are hazy and dark. An important cloud for helping us identify weather is the cumulonimbus cloud. Cumulonimbus is the cloud that produces storms with thunder and lightning. This cloud also produces heavy rain showers, strong winds, hail, and even tornadoes. Thunder and lightning come only from cumulonimbus clouds. Another distinctive feature of cumulonimbus is the mammatus development. This feature normally occurs at the base of the cloud and looks like bulges or pouches. Mammatus formations indicate the degree of instability in the area. Although not always, tornadoes often come from these clouds. Even if tornadoes don't occur, these clouds indicate severe weather. Normally, clouds do not present a problem for airplanes. Pilots fly in and out of clouds all of the time. Obviously, an exception to this is the cumulonimbus cloud. Pilots don't want to fly into thunderstorms or tornadoes. In general, cumulus clouds are also associated with another weather phenomenon, and that is turbulence. Turbulence is an unrest or disturbance of the air. It refers to the instability of the air. Turbulence is the motion of the air that affects the smoothness. Unstable air is turbulent air, whereas stable air is smooth with very little turbulence. Cumulus clouds are formed by convection, which is defined as warm air rising. This rising warm air comes in contact with cooler air, causing the turbulence. Pilots know that they will encounter turbulence when they fly through cumulus clouds. They also know that turbulence can cause some very bumpy rides, especially in smaller planes. Cloud classification. Clouds are classified according to their height above and appearance from the ground. The following cloud routes and translations summarize the components of this classification system. 1. Cirro, curl of hair, high. 2. Alto, mid. 3. Strato, layer. 4. Nimbo, rain, precipitation. And 5. Cumulo. Heap. High-level clouds. High-level clouds occur above about 20,000 feet and are given the prefix cirro. Due to cold tropospheric temperatures at these levels, the clouds primarily are composed of ice crystals and often appear thin, streaky, and white. Although a low sun angle such as occurs at sunset can create an array of color on the clouds. The three main types of high clouds are cirrus, cirrostratus, and cirrocumulus. Cirrus clouds are wispy, feathery, and composed of ice crystals. They often are the first sign of an approaching warm front or upper-level jet stream. Unlike cirrus, 
Cirrostratus clouds form more of a widespread veil-like layer, similar to what stratus clouds do in low levels. When sunlight or moonlight passes through the hexagonal-shaped ice crystals of cirrostratus clouds, the light is dispersed or refracted, similar to light passing through a prism, in such a way that a familiar ring or halo may form. As a warm front approaches, cirrus clouds tend to thicken into cirrostratus, which may, in turn, thicken and lower into altostratus, stratus, and even nimbostratus. Finally, cirrocumulus clouds are layered clouds permeated with small cumuliform lumpiness. They also may line up in streets or rows of clouds across the sky. Mid-level clouds. The bases of clouds in the middle level of the troposphere, given the prefix alto, appear between 6,500 and 20,000 feet. Depending on the altitude, time of year, and vertical temperature structure of the troposphere, these clouds may be composed of liquid water droplets, ice crystals, or a combination of the two, including supercooled droplets, liquid droplets whose temperatures are below freezing. The two main types of mid-level clouds are altostratus and altocumulus. Altostratus clouds are stratotype clouds that possess a flat and uniform type texture in the mid-levels. They frequently indicate the approach of a warm front and may thicken and lower into stratus, then nimbostratus, resulting in rain or snow. However, altostratus clouds themselves do not produce significant precipitation at the surface, although sprinkles or occasionally light showers may occur from a thick altostratus deck. Altocumulus clouds exhibit cumulo-type characteristics in mid-levels, heap-like clouds with convective elements. Like stericumulus, altocumulus may align in rows or streets of clouds, with cloud axes indicating localized areas of ascending, moist air, and clear zones between rows suggesting locally descending, drier air. Altocumulus, clouds with some vertical extent, may denote the presence of elevated instability, especially in the morning. Low-level clouds. Low-level clouds are not given a prefix, although their names are derived from strato or cumulo, depending on their characteristics. Low clouds occur below 6,500 feet and normally consist of liquid water droplets or even supercooled droplets, except during cold winter storms when ice crystals and snow comprise much of the clouds. The two main types of low clouds include stratus, which develop horizontally, and cumulus, which develop vertically. Stratus clouds are uniform and flat, producing a gray layer of cloud cover, which may be precipitation-free or may cause periods of light precipitation or drizzle. Stratocumulus clouds are hybrids of layered stratus and cumulus, individual puffy clouds clumped together in a continuous distribution. Stratocumulus also can be thought of as a layer of cloud clumps with thick and thin areas. These clouds appear frequently in the atmosphere, either ahead of or behind a frontal system. Thick, dense stratus or stratocumulus clouds producing steady rain or snow often are referred to as nimbostratus clouds. In contrast to layered, horizontal stratus, cumulus clouds are more cellular in nature, have flat bottoms and rounded tops, and grow vertically. In fact, their name depends on the degree of vertical development. For instance, scattered cumulus clouds showing little vertical growth on an otherwise sunny day used to be termed cumulus humilis or fairweather cumulus although normally they simply are referred to as just cumulus or flat cumulus. A cumulus cloud that exhibits significant vertical development but is not yet a thunderstorm is called cumulus congestus or towering cumulus. If enough atmospheric instability, moisture, and lift are present, then strong updrafts can develop in the cumulus cloud leading to a mature, deep cumulonimbus cloud, that is, 
a thunderstorm producing heavy rain. In addition, cloud electrification occurs within cumulonimbus clouds due to many collisions between charged water droplets, ROPL, which is an ice water mix, much like hail, and ice crystal particles, resulting in lightning and thunder. Lenticular clouds Lenticular clouds, technically known as altocumulus, standing lenticularis, or ACSL, are stationary, lens-shaped clouds that form at high altitudes, normally aligned at right angles to the wind direction. When stable moist air flows over a range of mountains, a series of large-scale standing waves may form. Under certain conditions, long strings of lenticular clouds can form, creating a formation known as a wave cloud. Lenticular clouds may look like they are standing still, but they are actually forming on one side and dissipating on the other. They look this way because cloud-forming vapor condenses by going below dew point at the crest of the waves. Power pilots tend to avoid flying near lenticular clouds because of the turbulence of the rotor systems that accompany them, but sailplane pilots actively look for them. This is because the systems of atmospheric standing waves that cause lennies, as they are sometimes called, also involve large vertical air movements, and the precise location of the rising air mass is fairly easy to predict from the orientation of the clouds. This vertical air movement gives a glider lift that takes it to a higher altitude. Wave lift of this kind is often very smooth and strong, and enables gliders to soar to remarkable altitudes and great distances. Some gliders have soared as far as over 1,500 miles and as high as about 50,000 feet. Lenticular clouds are known to foreshadow bad weather. When airline pilots see these in the distance, the seatbelt light goes on immediately and a voice comes over the speaker saying, Ladies and gentlemen, we may be experiencing turbulence soon so please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Chapter 5. Weather Systems and Changes Learning Outcomes 1. Define an air mass and identify air mass characteristics. 2. Define a front and describe the types of fronts. 3. Describe hurricanes, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. 4. Identify the stages of a thunderstorm. 5. Outline safety precautions for thunderstorms and tornadoes. Important terms. Air mass. Huge body of air with the same temperature and moisture characteristics. Front. A boundary between two air masses. Hurricane. A tropical cyclone of low pressure and very strong winds, usually with heavy rain and possible thunderstorms and tornadoes. Thunderstorm. Cumulonimbus cloud possessing thunder and lightning, usually accompanied by strong winds, rain, and sometimes hail. Tornado. Whirling funnel of air of very low pressure and very strong winds, may be powerful enough to suck up anything in its path, must touch the ground to be called a tornado. Air masses. When the meteorologist on television is talking about a large weather pattern or weather system moving into your area, they are referring to an air mass or a front. An approaching air mass or front will definitely influence and change the weather in your local area. This chapter takes a look at severe weather and some of the effects of these phenomena. An air mass is a huge body of air, usually 1,000 miles or more across, that has the same temperature and moisture characteristics. When an air mass travels out of its area of origin, it carries those characteristics with it. The place of origin of an air mass is called its source region, and the nature of the source region largely determines the initial characteristics of an air mass. The ideal source region must be very large and the physical features must be consistent throughout. Land located next to water is not a good source region. Tropical, frost-free and high-temperature areas and polar, colder areas far from the equator locations are the best source regions. 
Air masses are classified by their source region and the nature of the surface in their source region. They are identified by a two-letter code consisting of a lowercase letter and a capital letter. The lowercase letter is either M for maritime or C for continental. Maritime stands for water, high moisture and wet, and continental stands for land, low moisture and dry. The capital letter refers to temperature at latitude and is placed into four categories, polar, P, Arctic, A, tropical, T, and equatorial, E. The differences between polar and Arctic, colder, and between tropical and equatorial, warmer, are very small. Here are the air mass classifications. CA, continental Arctic. CP, continental polar. CT, continental tropical. MT, maritime tropical. MP, maritime polar. ME, maritime equatorial. Fronts. Fronts are classified as warm, cold, stationary, and occluded. A warm front occurs when warm air moves into an area of colder air and they collide. The warm air overrides the cold because it is lighter. The heavier, colder air sinks. Cold fronts occur when the air moving into the area is colder than the already present warmer air. The heavier, colder air pushes the warmer air up and out of the way. In general, cold fronts move faster than warm fronts. So the colder air is rapidly pushing the warmer air out. Sometimes different air masses bump against each other, but the difference between them is not enough to force movement. This is called a stationary front. Neither the warm nor the cold air advances, and it becomes a standoff. This can last a few hours or a few days, but eventually more forceful air will push into the area and create movement. Occluded fronts involve three differing air masses and are classified as either cold occluded or warm occluded. In the cold occluded, cold air moves in and collides with warmer air, pushing the warm air aloft. Then, the leading edge of this cold front comes in contact with the trailing edge of the cooler surface air that was below the warm air. Because the advancing air is the coldest, it sinks to the surface and causes the cooler air to rise. However, the cooler air is still cooler than the warm air, so it continues to push the warm air above it. In the warm occluded front, cool air is advancing to collide with the air in your area. Since the cooler air is warmer than the colder surface air, the cooler air rides up over the cold air. Once again, though, the cooler air is cooler than the warm air that was already aloft, so the cooler air continues to push the warmer air up. In color weather maps, cold fronts are identified by the color blue and warm fronts by the color red. Stationary and occluded fronts are red and blue. Severe weather. The last section of this chapter is severe weather. There are three main weather phenomena to discuss in this area thunderstorms, tornadoes, and hurricanes. All three are powerful, devastating phenomena that damage property and bring destruction. All three are dangerous and potentially deadly as well. This section will give you information about these three severe weather phenomena and help you prepare for them. Spotting the cumulonimbus cloud is a sign of severe weather conditions. All three are severe weather phenomena can be associated with cumulonimbus clouds. Thunderstorms. Thunderstorms come from cumulonimbus clouds and always possess thunder and lightning. The most spectacular and dangerous part of a thunderstorm is the lightning. Lightning is the flash of light produced by electrical discharges in a thunderstorm area. Lightning discharges millions of volts of electricity and heats the air to 60,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Lightning can vary from between 9 to 90 miles. Thunder is the sound sent out by rapidly expanding gases along the lightning's trail. Thunderstorms usually contain heavy rain, strong winds, and sometimes hail, small balls of ice. 
Thunderstorms have three stages, building, mature, and dissipating. The building stage is dominated by updrafts as the storm builds and grows vertically. Eventually, the moisture that is carried up with the storm gets heavier and starts to fall. This creates downdrafts. Updrafts are still occurring, so the moisture moves up and down several times. This activity describes the mature stage. The last stage has downdrafts only and this is called the dissipating stage. At any given time in the world, 2,000 thunderstorms are occurring, and from these storms 100 lightning strikes occur per second. Thunderstorms can occur anytime, anywhere. There is an old saying that lightning does not strike twice in the same place. Don't believe it. The Empire State Building has been struck many times during the same storm. Lightning can kill. On the average, over 200 people are killed every year in the U.S., and another 500 to 600 people are injured by lightning strikes. Let's take a moment and remind ourselves of some safety rules for thunder and lightning. During a storm, following this list will increase your safety. When inside, stay away from windows and doors. Don't use electrical appliances. Don't use the telephone or take a shower or bath. If outdoors, go inside if you can. Move away from water, such as swimming pools and lakes. If you are in a boat, go ashore. Stay away from metal objects like golf clubs, fishing poles, bicycles, farm equipment, or motorcycles. Don't stand in an open field, a hilltop, or on a golf course. Stay low by sitting or crouching. Don't stand under a single tree. If you must be under a tree, look for a clump of small trees or trees of similar height. If in a group of people, stay low and spread out. If in a car, stay there. Thunderstorms present several challenges to pilots. Thunderstorms come from cumulonimbus clouds, and that means there is unstable air present. So, thunderstorms have violent up and down drafts. As already mentioned, unstable air causes turbulence, and turbulence, particularly heavy turbulence, raises havoc with planes. Thunderstorms generally bring rain, usually heavy and sometimes even hail. Hail can do serious damage to airplanes. Also, thunderstorms are always accompanied by thunder and lightning. Pilots are well aware of the dangers associated with thunderstorms and usually fly above or around them. Tornadoes One of the most severe weather phenomenon is the tornado. A tornado is very destructive and can be devastating to life and property. Tornadoes have occurred in every month of the year and in every state in the U.S. About 700 tornadoes are reported in the U.S. annually. Tornadoes consist of unstable air of very low pressure. Most tornadoes move in a counterclockwise manner. Air is sucked into the center, or vortex, of the storm and is rapidly lifted and cooled. The funnel of a tornado appears very dark as it moves, picking up dirt and debris. Tornadoes will normally touch down for several miles, then go back up in the cloud, and then touch down again later. It will do this many times during its life. A tornado ranges from 50 to 500 yards wide and moves across the ground at about 70 miles per hour. These are just averages as they can move twice as fast or as slow as 5 miles per hour. A tornado's winds can be stronger than 300 knots. Each knot is equal to one nautical mile, which is about 1.15 miles per hour, and this is the main reason for the tremendous destruction associated with tornadoes. The Fuji to wind damage scale explains the categories of wind speed and expected damage. Fuji to wind scale. At zero, winds 40 to 72 miles per hour, light damage. F1, winds 73 to 112 miles per hour, moderate damage. F2, 
winds 113 to 157 miles per hour, considerable damage. F3, winds 158 to 206 miles per hour, severe damage. F4, winds 207 to 260 miles per hour, devastating damage. F5, winds 260 to 318 miles per hour, incredible damage. If you know a tornado is coming, there are precautions you can take. If time permits, get to a basement or underground. If in open country, move at 90 degree, right angles away from it. If there is time, get to a low place, like a ditch, and lie down. If indoors, stay away from windows. And if you don't have a basement, get to an interior hallway, closet, or bathroom. Hurricanes. Another severe phenomenon is the hurricane. A good case could be made for hurricanes as being the most dangerous of storms. First of all, they produce many thunderstorms and tornadoes within their system. Secondly, although their winds are not as strong as a tornado's, they are often above 100 knots. Hurricanes affect a large area, hundreds of miles wide, and they usually continue for more than a week. Many times they will flood coastal cities and dump many inches of rain. The winds, along with the tidal waves from the ocean, demolish homes on a routine basis. Before tropical cyclones develop into hurricanes, they can be divided into three categories depending on the wind speed. The lowest category is a tropical disturbance, then a tropical depression, and finally a tropical storm. A tropical storm's winds must be between 39 and 74 miles per hour. If the winds go above 74 miles per hour, the cyclone is called a hurricane. Hurricanes have five categories. These categories are presented on the Saffir-Simpson hurricane wind scale. Although the winds are what most people pay attention to, hurricane damage also comes from storm surges and flooding. Saffir-Simpson hurricane wind scale. Category 1, 74 to 95 miles per hour. Category 2, 96 to 110 miles per hour. Category 3, 111 to 129 miles per hour. Category 4, 130 to 156 miles per hour. Category 5, 157 miles per hour and up. One distinctive feature of every hurricane is the eye. The eye is the center of the storm. It consists of calm or very light winds and clear skies or very few clouds. It is calm and peaceful, yet surrounded by violence and force on all sides. The average eye of a hurricane is about 10 to 15 miles wide. After the eye passes, the winds roar and blow as strong as before.